to the book of Romans, <clears throat> Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 13 this morning, Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 13, and we conclude <clears throat> today with this passage of scripture, the major section of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's in some ways uh, unimaginable that we have actually made our way to the end of Romans. We've been in Romans since 2019. We've now made our way toward the end of Romans, and Paul concludes the major section of his doctrinal disposition here in this text of Scripture today. In fact, you will feel it as you read the text of Scripture next week. Paul moves into starting next week with a number of statements of thanksgiving or reflections upon other people, and you'll sense and feel as you read that text of Scripture a move away from this deep dive into theology. What has Paul been teaching us since we started with this main section in chapter 1, verse 16? Paul has been on a journey to do a number of things for us, one of which is to place each of us on equal ground. All of us are equally, apart from Christ, sinners separated from God. And Paul reminds us of this truth in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and into Romans chapter 3. He reminds us that both Jew and Gentile are separated from God and are thus equally sinners. The Jews are not bigger sinners, if you will, than the Gentiles, and the Gentiles aren't bigger sinners, if you will, than the Jews. All are equally sinners. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. <clears throat> Not only are we on equal ground as it relates to our state before God apart from Christ, but we also equally share in the opportunity of expressing faith and hope in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as Paul will write to us in Romans chapter 2, there is no partiality. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come and say, I'm going to pursue some of you Jews over here and not some of you and some of you Gentiles over here and not some of you. For God has given to us the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, all of us have equal access to God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has done everything that is necessary to place you and me in a right relationship with the Father. And what is the means of that right relationship with the Father? Paul answers that for us in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, faith is the means to a right relationship with the Father. For whom? For all people. 
for Jews and for Gentiles alike. And Paul reaches all the way back in Romans chapter 4 to the Old Testament to Father Abraham and reminds us that Father Abraham himself was justified how? By faith. And thus, friend, for all of us today, you and I can have a right relationship with this God who formed us and created us, how? By faith, by trust in the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul then fleshes that truth out for us in Romans 5, 6, and 7, and into 8. And in Romans chapters 9 through 11, he seeks to answer that question that is plaguing the mindset of the Jewish believers in this community of faith. You might remember as our journey through Romans, I've noted on a few occasions that it seems that what's taking place here in the book of Romans is that the Jewish believers in Rome are shrinking, if you will, in number. Or we might say it this way, that the Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ at a higher rate, if you will, than the Jewish uh, people. So that now in the church at Rome, there are more Gentiles in the church at Rome than there are Jews. And the Jews, the Jewish believers are somewhat perplexed by this. It's easy, sitting in our time and space today, to not quite understand why they might be perplexed by this understanding. But just think with me for just a moment, as Paul has even written to the Romans themselves. The gospel is to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. It shouldn't be a surprise, for Jesus said himself of his ministry, I have come to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus himself, stating his ministry was to come and redeem the Israel people who had once believed, but no longer believe. And yet, in the midst of Jesus's ministry to the Jews, we also understand not only from Jesus himself, but also from Paul himself, that the intended focus of the gospel was not only the Jews, it has always and forever been God's intended purpose to provide salvation for all people who by faith would trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this reaches all the way back to God's promise, you'll want to remember that word, promise, to Father Abraham. What was God's promise in Genesis 12, repeated in 15 and into 17? What was God's promise to Father Abraham? That he would be a father of many nations. And those many nations would include people from every background, from every ethnicity. And that truth, friends, has been accomplished through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is seeking to show in Romans 9, 10, and 11. God has not failed in his promises 
to the nation of Israel. He has done everything, Romans chapter 10. They have heard the word of the Lord. He has given to them the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not because of a lack of hearing or seeing or understanding. What is the problem? They have sought to pursue a relationship with Christ through the wrong means. Friends, there is only one means that will place you in a right relationship with God. It's not your works. It's not how good you are. It's not how moral you are. It's not how upstanding you are. It's not how generous you are. It's not how kind you are. It's none of those things. The one thing that places us in right relationship with God is faith. And Paul, in this concluding section of Romans in 12, 13, 14, and 15, seeks to show us how faith is demonstrated in the lives of those who have trusted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And particularly here in 14 and 15, the one thing Paul reminds us is, if indeed Christ is our Lord, if Christ has indeed redeemed our lives, if we've been placed into a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then there is absolutely no one in the context of this faith family, there is absolutely nothing, there is no issue that should divide the body of Christ, particularly those issues of, that are of a non-essential nature. It is a demonstration of our faith that we walk in unity with one another. Perhaps we might say for Paul in Romans chapter 14 and 15, the highest expression of faith in Christ is unity with the body of Christ. In other words, we are never more like Jesus than we are when we walk in unity with one another. If you really, really want to demonstrate your faith to the people of God seated in this building this morning, Paul would say to us, walk in unity. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Or maybe more pointedly, he would say to each, other, each of us, church is not about you. It's about him. With that foundation set, let's look now at what Paul says in this concluding section, not only concluding our section of Romans chapters 13, 14, or excuse me, 14 and 15, but concluding for us his entire major section of Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through chapter 15, verse 13. Loving God's people, loving God's people brings glory to God. Loving God's people brings glory to God brings joy, peace, and hope to believers and demonstrates that we are participants in Christ's ministry. Loving God's people, loving the people of God brings glory to God, 
and brings hope, joy, and peace to believers and demonstrates we are participants in Christ's ministry. Let me show that to you from this text of scripture. Notice verse seven, Paul says what he's already said to us in chapter 14. We must welcome one another. We must accept one another. Therefore, based on everything that I've just said, Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for what purpose? For the glory of God. Paul has already grounded for us the reason why we are to live in right relationship with one another in the context of the body of Christ. He's already grounded for us why we should pursue unity with one another. Look with me in chapter 14 down in verse, in verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who passes judgment on the other one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. Now come to verse 7 of chapter 15. Who is the one doing the welcoming for us? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. See, friends, for the Apostle Paul, the work that God has done through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is an outflow of the unity that exists among the Godhead so that what can be said of the Father can also be said of the Son, such that the Father and the Son are working together to bring about redemption for humanity and for those who have professed faith in Christ, friends, Jesus, the Father, has welcomed you into the family of God. How can we not also welcome one another? Do you understand your offense against God this morning? Have you understood just how offensive your rebellion against God is? You say, Pastor, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm generally kind and compassionate and thoughtful, and helpful. That's fantastic. Those are good qualities of a good neighbor and a good person. But they are not requirements for entrance into the kingdom of God. See, friends, you can be the most kind person this world has ever experienced and still live your life completely separated from God and living your life separated from God, receiving the just penalty of your sin. For what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is 
death. Friend, what your rejection of Christ as Lord and Savior deserves, regardless of how good you are as a person, is death. When we understand, as Paul would write in the book of Ephesians, that we were indeed enemies of God, even haters of God, and in that God still reconciled us to him, while we were at one point in our lives haters of God, as the Apostle Paul went around even trying to kill other believers, and what did Jesus say to Paul when he interacted with him on that Damascus road? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. Saul's action of killing Christians was seen by God himself, by Christ himself, as an act against Christ. And yet, what does Christ extend to the Apostle Paul? Forgiveness and grace and mercy. Friends, if God can extend that to you and me, can you please look around this building this morning and tell me the one person that you can't extend that same measure of kindness and grace and mercy to? There's nothing that I can do to you or that you can do to me that can separate us or should separate us from walking in unity in the body of Christ. And in case you've not been here over the course of the last few weeks, let me make sure you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about issues that are of a non-essential nature. We're not talking about issues that, that, that are a basis for separation. In other words, if somebody stood up today and says, I believe that there are multiple ways in which one person can be made right with God, we're not going to have unity here. We're not universalists at Woodlawn Baptist. There are universalist churches that you can join. This just isn't one of them. But as it relates to these issues of a non-essential nature, Paul says, welcome one another. Why? Because Christ himself has accepted. Notice who he has accepted. Look at the text of Scripture in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Is this a singular you or a plural you? Anybody want to take a guess? Uh, it is absolutely plural. This is what God has done for us, for you and me in the context of this building. This is what we are to do to one another. This is the collective way we are to respond to one another in the body of Christ. We are to welcome one another. Why? Christ has welcomed you. Why? Paul gives us the ultimate purpose at the end of verse 7, for the glory of God. See, friends, it should be said of Woodlawn Baptist Church that we relate to one another in the way we do, not because we ultimately like each other, not because you think that our children's choir sings really well, 
not because you like a certain program at Woodlawn, to the extent that as long as they do that program, you're here, but if they stop that program, you're gone. No, 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 we don't function in a means of kindness and Christian hospitality and charity toward one another, ultimately because those are good things. Friends, we ultimately do that because we understand that through doing those actions, we bring honor and glory to God. One of the greatest ways we can express our faith and hope and trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is by being kind and gracious toward one another. If welcoming if extending Christian charity and hospitality brings glory to Christ, let me ask Woodlawn Baptist Church this question. If we had a glory meter up here on our stage, because of your participation as an individual, where would that glory meter register? In what ways do you see in your life on a very practical way, in what ways are you extending Christian charity and hospitality? In what ways are you fighting through disagreement to find unity? See, friends, division, quite honestly, is easy. It's really easy. I don't like you, you don't like me. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you, right? I'm gonna get in trouble for that statement. My wife's gonna fuss at me over that one. That's really easy. Maybe you even feel good about yourself. Ha ha, I got one in on that person, right? That's easy, any of us can do that. Friends, you know it takes work. You know what takes intentionality? You know what takes getting to know other people in the body of Christ? You know what causes you to give up time? You know what will cost you money? Pursuing the unity of the body of Christ. It cost Christ, did it not? Don't think unity won't cost you anything. God has welcomed us through Christ. We should welcome others. We should do it because that action brings glory to Christ, brings glory to God. We demonstrate as a faith family our hope and trust in God by being unified and bringing glory to God. And then look what Paul does in verses eight through 12. Christ's ministry brings together Jews and Gentiles. Remember what I said to you is the main point of this sermon, loving the people of God brings glory to God, brings hope, joy, and peace to believers and demonstrates we are participants in Christ's ministry. Here is Jesus's ministry right here for us in Romans chapter 15, verses eight through 12. 
Look how he defines Christ's ministry. Christ's ministry and these verses are defined for us similar to the pattern that he's given us all throughout the book of Romans. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Christ's ministry is all-inclusive. Look what he says, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness. Or we might say, Jesus is coming, his ministry to the Jews is a demonstration of the character of God, of his faithfulness, of his hesed love, of his loving kindness. This is what Paul is saying here. Jesus has demonstrated for you and for me the truthfulness of God, the faithfulness of God, in what way? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Paul's already fleshed this out. Jesus is a fulfillment of God's promises. God's promises where? The Old Testament. Friends, Jesus is not a figment of Paul's imagination or a concomitant of Paul in the first century. Paul is saying very clearly here in Romans 15 that Jesus is spoken of in the Old Testament. His coming is a fulfillment of God's promises to the patriarchs. Now, this theme of promise is a primary thought in Paul's mindset in Romans chapter 4. Look with me in Romans chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 14, verse 16 Uh, verse 20. Romans chapter 4, actually beginning in verse 13. Verse 13, verse 14, verse 16, and verse 20. Let's begin with chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, did you hear that word promise? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Look at verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if you can have a right relationship with God by works, then Jesus came in vain. But notice what Paul is saying, friends. Jesus was promised to us. Jesus was promised to the patriarchs. Jesus was promised to the Old Testament saints of God. Look at verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Jesus is a promise, Romans chapter 4, verse 16, both to Jews and Gentiles alike. And then look lastly how Paul uses this word promise in chapter 4, verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith, 
And notice what he did. He gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is Father Abraham. Such, verse 22, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because Abraham lived his life giving glory to God. Why? Because Abraham lived his life fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 12, reminds us of God's promise. And God's promise was the ministry of Christ that brings together the Jews and the Gentiles in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs, that is the promise given to the Jews, but look at verse nine, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This is the intended purpose of Christ to bring Jews and Gentiles into a right relationship with him. Friends, it is God's intended purpose today as well to bring people from every tribe, nation, and tongue into a right relationship with God. But notice this, Paul here in this passage of Scripture isn't primarily focused on a salvific experience of bringing Jews and Gentiles together. That is true. But what is he using this expression for? To show us that not only does he bring us in Christ, those who are ethnically, completely, totally different together salvifically, but he also brings us together for the purpose of sanctification. What God has done in Christ and bringing us to faith is exactly what God is doing at this very moment against a very diverse group of people, causing us to walk in humility and kindness and charity and hospitality toward one another. And then Paul does what he's done for us throughout the book of Romans, particularly in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Paul reaches all the way back to the Old Testament, and he grounds for us his theology in the Word of God. And we've noted along the way that every theology must be grounded in the Word of God. And friends, one of the reasons why we give ourselves to preaching through books of the Bible and the context. By the way, this is a timeout in the sermon. Don't count this length against my sermon length, okay? One of the reasons why we spend time preaching through books of the Bible at Woodlawn Baptist Church is we believe that the entirety of these 66 books are equally the Word of God. And if we want to know who God is, the best way to know who God is, the only way to know God in a saving way is to know Him through His Word. Thus, we must give ourselves to developing our understanding of God, of Christ, of the Spirit, of the church, of our relationship with one another through the Word of God. And this is what Paul is doing. Paul is reaching back to the Old Testament to ground his belief in the unity of the people of God. And he does so, notice what he does. 
he goes through the three main sections of the Hebrew Bible. He's going to give us a statement from the prophets. He's going to give us a statement here from the Torah. He's going to give us a statement from the writings. So what is Paul saying in Romans chapter 15, verses 9 through 12? The entirety of the Old Testament speaks with a unifying voice that God anticipates and expects the people of God to live in unity with one another. And here it is, verse 9. As it is written, a quote from Psalm 18, verse 49 Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Paul is referencing Psalm 18 as a reflection of the desire of the psalmist to see the Gentiles praise the name of God. Verse 10 from Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Torah. And again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Deuteronomy, the Torah, the very foundation of the entirety of our Bibles with this expression of hope that the Gentiles indeed would join the peoples of God in worshiping Yahweh. Back to the Psalms, the writings, and again verse 11 Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. We read from this text this morning, Psalm 117 is a short psalm, two verses, and the entirety of that psalm is a reflection on the desire of God that all people might rightly worship God, both Jew and Gentile. And look again, Isaiah, verse 12. Isaiah is the most quoted Old Testament book in the book of Romans. It's no surprise that Paul would reach back to, Rome, to Isaiah to make a point for us. And look what he says. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Who is the root of Jesse? Jesus. Jesus. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. You see what Paul has done for us, friends? He has shown us through the word of God, through the Old Testament, that it is God's desire that people, regardless of ethnic backgrounds, regardless of minor differences, you like a white car and I like a black car. You like to drink Kool-Aid and I like to drink unsweet tea. You think we ought to have pews and somebody else thinks we ought to have padded chairs. Somebody thinks we should start church at 11 and somebody else thinks we, st- we should start church at 9 o'clock. Regardless of all of those non-essential issues that might divide us, Paul says when we look at Jesus, when we look at the testimony of the Word of God, how can we not love one another? How can we not welcome one another in the body of Christ? And notice what he says for us in verse 13. God grants to his people hope 
joy, and peace. Verse 13, Paul does what he did in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 15. This is the second prayer in Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Paul notes for us these issues that defined the kingdom of God. Look with me back in chapter 14, verse 17. Chapter 14, verse 17, Paul writes these words. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but what is the kingdom of God? It is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see what Paul is doing? Paul is saying, Lord, I pray that the brothers and sisters in the First Baptist Church of Rome might live their lives as though they are genuinely citizens of the kingdom of God and not citizens of Rome. Paul has given for us these characteristics, these ideas that characterize the kingdom of God to which we all aspire to live for eternity. And notice he repeats those here in verse 13 of chapter 15. God's hope, God's desire, God is the God of hope, is that you and me might live our lives in joy and in peace. How do we obtain that? How does that work? How does that flesh itself out in this expression of the kingdom of God? Friends, we live in the joy and in the hope and in the peace that God provides us to the extent, don't miss it, that you and I are willing to pursue the unity of the body of Christ. How can we say Woodlawn Baptist Church is a church, notice what he says at the very end of verse 13, is a church that lives its life by the power of the Holy Spirit? How can we with a sense of confidence say the Spirit of God is directing the life of this church? We can be confident of that where we see expressions of joy and peace and hope. The Spirit is the means by which we obtain this hope that God has brought to you and me through the person of Jesus Christ. Do you have God's hope, God's peace, and God's joy. Woodlawn is having God's hope and God's peace and God's joy the focus, the intent of the people of God expressed in this gathering. Are you living your life are we 
living our lives controlled, filled by the Holy Spirit. If so, Paul says you'll have hope, joy, and peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace that has been extended to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the demonstration that you have given to us through Jesus, that only in you, Christ, do we have hope, joy, and peace. Only through you, Jesus, can we extend to others any measure of kindness, of charity, of hospitality. And so, God, I pray this morning that Woodlawn Baptist Church would continually, regularly demonstrate the Spirit's work among us as we pursue unity. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this today with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and reflect for a few minutes on the preaching of God's Word today? Have you been welcomed by God through Christ, through faith? Have you trusted in Jesus today, friend? Maybe you're here this morning and quite honestly, you say, Pastor, I just have to be honest. I don't really believe. I don't really trust Friend, I have nothing to offer you than Christ himself. And I would encourage you today to hear the words of this this text of Scripture, of what Christ has done on your behalf, and plead with you to be compelled through the text of Scripture that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but should have everlasting life. Would you trust in Christ today and in doing so be welcomed by God? And for those of us who are believers, are you living out Christ's ministry in your life by the way in which you welcome other people? God, through Christ, has welcomed you and me. Is there a person in this church that you struggle with? Is there a person in this church because of differences that you find it hard to love? Is there a person in this church that you find it often easy to gossip about? Would you today in light of this text of Scripture, seek God's forgiveness and desire to demonstrate in your life the ministry of Christ? What ways can you, what ways can we as a congregation be more welcoming 
I'm not talking about standing at the back of the church and when people walk in, say, welcome to Woodlawn. I'm talking about what ways can you express to the body of Christ Christian hospitality? When's the last time you've had somebody over in your home? When's the last time you've had somebody in this body of Christ that you really don't know into your home? When's the last time you've had somebody that you disagree with into your home? When's the last time you've had a conversation pursuing unity instead of division? In just a few moments, friends, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. You have questions about this story of Jesus. Myself and Pastor Travis will be down front as we sing. Please feel free to walk forward and speak with one of us. But friends, there are also plenty of Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians seated around you. Please feel free to turn to a neighbor and ask your neighbor how you might trust in Christ. Secondly, as we sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be down here. Maybe you would like for one of us just to pray with you that the truths of this text of Scripture might indeed be evidenced in your life. Maybe you desire to increase Christian hospitality and charity in your life, and you just want a sense of accountability. We would be glad to hold you accountable and pray for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express an interest in being part of this faith family. As we sing... Lord, we pray that our response to you might be pleasing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.